our guest preacher this morning doesn't need a whole lot of introduction in Durham uh, because he's been ministering here for quite a while, left for a little bit, and has come back. He was the dean of Duke Chapel for about 20 years and now is the, a professor of preaching at Duke Divinity and the head of the uh, Doctorate of Ministry program at Duke. Uh, that's where I most recently have gotten to know him uh, by helping out on a class. And as I shared in the email this week, I've been a, a little nostalgic lately um, in terms of uh, my own um, influences and, and mentors and important people along the way. Uh, if you know me well, you've probably heard me talk about people like Marva Dawn, who recently passed away, and I'm reading the Eugene Peterson biography right now, which is wonderful. And, and as I shared in the email, uh, Dr. Willimon's book with Stanley Hauerwas is another one of those high watermarks and kind of uh, momentous uh, things that I read early in ministry career that, that really uh, set some things in motion and began forming an ethos and some instincts uh, for ministry. And so I'm so thankful to have him here with us today. I'm going to invite Wayne to read uh, from Matthew 6 as we continue in our study of the Sermon on the Mount and turn towards the Lord's Prayer. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers and giving honor to my Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, Matthew 6, 1 through 15. Beware of practicing your pity parties before others to be seen by them. For you have no rewards from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hip hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly I tell you, they have not received their rewards. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing or has done, so that your alms may be gone, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your father will see you in secret will reward you. And whenever you pray, do not do like the, like the hypocrites, for they love, for they love and stand and pray in in the synagogue and in the streets and in the corners so that they may have been with others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their rewards. But whenever you pray, go into a room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is, who is in secret, so that the Father, who, okay, so that the Father who, see, who sees you will reward you. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. They think they have, as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do, do, not like, do not be like them, for your Father knows what your needs before you ask for them. Pray then this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, you will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as you have forgiven our debtors. 
and do not bring us to this time of trial, be re but rescue us from the evil ones. For if you give others their trust, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Thank you. It's great to be at this innovative, lively congregation. I, I feel today I, like a old, aging mainline person who's been pushed to the edge of the future of the church. So thank you. And it's wonderful to know Chris and to be with you. Here I I have no idea about the music stand. That's Dave, thank you. Uh, I won't use it. I'm scared of it now. Yeah. Um, that's fine. That's fine. That's good. Um, we've, uh, Wayne has read us from Scripture, the Bible. The Bible is uh, a big book. What, what, what is the Bible about? Well, God. But more specifically, it, it's okay to think of the Bible as a report of a six millennia long conversation between humanity and God. Uh, in the Bible, people talk to God and God listens and God speaks and people listen. A conversation. Conversation, you parents know, it's, it's, it's a learned skill. You, you teach your children how to talk, but, but how to listen. I know when I was 13, I asked a friend of mine, what do you do on a date? And my learned, experienced friend said, uh, what you do on a date is you learn the right words to talk to a girl. And you learn to try to listen to what she says. And he said, basically you're gonna find it's the second part of that that's the hardest. Um, yeah, it, it's a learned skill. And, and, and you know it's, it's learning when to talk and, and when to listen. And if the conversational challenges between human beings are, are large, how much more so but the conversational challenges between humanity and God? And, and in a sense, the Bible keeps reminding us that there's something about us creatures that yearns to be in conversation with our Creator, but maybe even more wondrous, there's something about this God that yearns to talk to us. And that's what the Bible is. And therefore, here in the Sermon on the Mount, before it ends, Jesus' disciples ask Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us 
how in the world we can be in conversation with God. And Jesus loves his disciples enough to give them the words to speak to God in prayer. Teach us to pray. It's one of the few things Jesus' disciples ask Rabbi Jesus to teach them. Uh, and Jesus says, when you pray, use these words. Uh, sorry, if you thought like prayer is kind of telling what God, what, what's on your mind or telling God, spilling your guts to God about, uh, no, that there's words, there's right words to do it. And Jesus gives us those words. And I'd like to just highlight some of the aspects of the Lord's Prayer, this conversation between us and God, that, that I find to be the most curious. And, and right at the beginning is one of the most curious. Notice how the Lord's Prayer begins, Our Father. Uh, our Father. Sorry. If you thought like religion was something personal and private, uh, if you thought your most intense and demanding religious moments when you're alone with God, uh, no. Uh, right at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus makes our relationship with God public, communal, group, and our Father, which has implications. That means if you say our Father, that means that like, the people sitting next to you, if God is the Father, they, they must be your sister, your brother, your siblings in Christ. And I can tell you, I, some of you may be new to the church, but I can tell you somebody who's been around the church a long time, uh, one of the biggest challenges of being a Christian can be that hour. The fact that salvation in Jesus Christ is a group phenomenon, that Jesus calls individual disciples, yeah, yeah. But what is the first thing he does? He puts them in a group. And it can be the group thing that can be the most difficult. A person said to me the other day, after I've been at home with my laptop doing church, uh, I don't think I'm ever going back to my church again uh, because I just feel more spiritual at home on a laptop. Yeah. It's a lot easier that way. As bishop, I never saw a Methodist preacher call it quits because of Jesus. You'd think they would. You'd say, oh, he raises the bar every week. I can't. Jesus is too hard to work for. I can't do No. The reason that preachers quit the ministry is not Jesus. It's you, the laity. They love Jesus. They cannot stand his friends. Uh, so... So that our Father, where Jesus makes prayer go public, it, it says, it, it's as if God says, well, it was nice to hear from you in prayer, but well, where are the others? We, we pray this in unison. We pray it together. Maybe because conversation with God is so demanding, you, you need some help from friends to work up the courage to go to God in prayer, uh, our Father. And then, immediately, the Lord's Prayer gets into politics. Your kingdom come. Your will 
be done. Sorry. If you thought like Christianity was something like personal, private, uh, something in your heart. No, Jesus immediately, your kingdom come, your will be done. What's natural is to think of prayer as a time when I come to God and I get my kingdoms enriched, my kingdoms, uh, my power, my glory. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It's as if here in the Lord's Prayer, we pray, bring it on, Lord. Come on. Your kingdoms, which are often so much at odd with our kingdoms, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done. Prayer gets difficult there because, you know, prayer is often what, what I will, what I want. No, we're talking about prayer now is wanting what God wants. I got a friend. He says he can sum up the Christian gospel in one sentence. God is going to get back what belongs to God. To be a Christian is to be somebody who believes God's kingdom will come on earth. God's will will be done on earth as it is done always in heaven and so therefore by implication to be a Christian is is to be somebody that not only prays for God's kingdom but says Lord let your kingdom come now on earth let your will be done now on earth only to hear the Lord say well guess who's going to help me do that uh, to pray this prayer for the kingdom to come is to step up and, and be enlisted in that kingdom work. But this brings to one of the most curious things about the Lord's Prayer, I think. And that is, whereas most of us think is prayer is when you come and you tell God what you want and what you need. Um, human need isn't mentioned in the Lord's Prayer till the prayer is nearly halfway over. The first half of the prayer is all about God and what God wants. The second part of the prayer, we finally get around to what we want. And then we pray for bread, but only for bread enough for today, daily bread, and for forgiveness. Forgiveness? You, you mean our greatest need from God is for forgiveness, for restoration of the relationship with God that we break through our sin and rebellion, and then for bread, but for daily bread. And, and right here, I think the Lord's Prayer gets to be specifically challenging, uh, as if to say... Uh, Okay, you've asked God for bread and for forgiveness. But then Jesus adds that, forgive us as we forgive others. And right at that point, we move from kind of asking God for gifts to God say, saying, wait, now you can do something for me. Uh, don't simply ask me for forgiveness, but you become a forgiver. And maybe then prayers 
that moves from listening to God to starting to listen to myself as I ask God, Lord, give me the ability to want nothing more than bread, daily bread. And for me, among people who, whose pr biggest problem is often not lack of bread, but too much bread, uh, how can I feel responsibility for somebody for whom simple daily bread is something for which they must beg uh, and make, make me a forgiver as I have been forgiven by you? Uh, St. Augustine and his congregation in North Africa noted that when they would pray the Lord's Prayer together, um, our Father who art in heaven, the kingdom come, uh, give us a day our daily bread. And for when they got to that phrase, forgive us, they would all go silent. <laughs> and then the preacher would go on and when they, they'd get to, and, and uh, power and glory is your, and, and Augustine said, <clears throat> I got to give you credit. <laughs> you know that you have no intention of going out of this church and forgiving those who've wronged you in similar ways that you have wronged God, at least you have the integrity not to pray that phrase because you have no intention of doing it. But to pray that phrase means, I'm going to step up, Lord, and, and try to do something hard for you. I'm, I'm going to try to forgive as I've been forgiven. But, but that leads me then to, to maybe the most curious thing of the Lord's Prayer. And that is what's not said by Jesus in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I visit around a lot of churches. <clears throat> Sometimes when I visit a church, the pastor will say, Are there any prayer requests? And that begins the sick list. I, I notice there are never any prayer requests for anything but health, medical, sickness, uh, the deterioration of older adults like me, uh, nothing, nothing, and only for those in need, health needs within that congregation. I'm so isn't it interesting. Jesus doesn't mention anything about health or sickness. Maybe. We're obsessed with health and all because maybe we can solve most of our problems with our credit cards. We don't need to go to God to ask for that. And yet, but we get to health, we get to immortality management. Uh, oh, we need some help with that. So that becomes all of prayer. I don't think this says it's wrong to pray for health and illness and sickness. It's just, it's wrong to limit our prayer to that. Uh, even the Gentiles do that. Um, it's like maybe God says to us when we pray only for health, personal health needs, uh, hey, uh, good to hear from you. However, could we, could we expand the conversation a bit? Uh, I remember visiting a woman in the hospital and uh, struggling with a serious illness. And I walk in and she said, uh, would you explain to me why I have been lying here praying intently to the Lord 
to deliver me from this illness, only to have the Lord walk right, waltz right in here and tell me, look, uh, you'll probably get through this illness, but what I need you to do is I need $10,000 to fund the church food pantry. She said, he's got some nerve. I'm in pain. I'm in need. And he still expects me to be a disciple even when I'm sick. Uh, in the Lord's Prayer, we move from asking God for things for God to say, come on, join up, be part of my peculiar kingdom. But the wonder behind all this is we got the kind of God that doesn't wait for us to get clear about the Bible and understand everything in the Bible. The kind of God that doesn't say, you know, I'm looking for people who are really good on their feet, who are always good with words and all. And we got a God who says, hey, you want to talk to me? You want to hear me? I'll give you the words. And what a gift. I have a friend who, in the 1960s, when he was a teenager, his church joined other churches in a civil rights demonstration in Montgomery, Alabama. And unexpectedly, suddenly the police swooped into the crowd, started hitting people, grabbing people, throwing them into police vans, even the young teenagers, and carting them off to jail. And said, I, I remember the complete silence as we rode in that police van. We got to the jail and there was some whimpering, there was some crying, weeping, but we didn't know what to say. And then when we got in those jail cells, the first thing they did is they turned out all the lights. And we were there in the complete darkness and we didn't know what was gonna to happen to us. And we were terrified. And then I heard a woman's voice and she said, our father and everybody in those jail cells said, our father. She said, who art in heaven? And we all joined in and we said the Lord's prayer. And remember that. Because from what I've seen, when you go through a tough time in life, when you encounter some terrible trauma, how do you feel? You, people often say, I didn't say, I didn't know what to say. I, I, I didn't know how to describe what was going on. I, I didn't have the words. Jesus loves us enough to say, hey, hey, when you pray, pray like this. Pray with these words. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power. Glory. Amen.